raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. 8 o'clock hour underway. Jake Query, Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton here. Kevin and Query, 93.5, 107.5. The Fan talking plenty about the Colts as they have wrapped up their, uh, essentially their work here for another seven weeks or so. Joining us now on the Payless Sickers Hotline, a guy that has been covering all of it. You hear him on these radio airwaves occasionally as well from the athletic James Boyd. James, I'll start with just the simple overview question of as everybody kind of goes their separate ways here for the next couple of weeks, half a month and a half, whatever it might be, before they resume, uh, what jumps out at you? Aside from the obvious, I'm going to take Anthony Richardson off the board as a possible answer because we'll get to that. Um, anything else that really jumped out at you so far? I think it's how depleted everyone was health-wise by the end of the minicamp. Um, it was really hard to gauge the cornerback room, especially because you'd imagine with situation Isaiah Rogers Sr. finds himself in, you'd like to see more from Julius Brent, Darius Rush, and Julius Brent is still recovering from wrist surgery. And then Darius Rush um, had a hamstring injury that basically knocked him out from a lot of OTAs and all of minicamp. So, um, the, that group in particular is what I'm kind of keeping my eyes on. What's jumping out to me is because obviously there's more opportunity for Dallas Flowers, who's taken advantage of it, made some plays um, yesterday in minicamp. But at the same time, you wonder if the culture is going to go really, really young at cornerback or try to pursue a veteran to come in, obviously, before training camp and join the team. James, when you look at Anthony Richardson's spring, um, what, if anything, has changed for you, in your opinion, on if he'll be the day one starter? I don't think much has changed. I do think that we saw a good glimpse of the leap he has to make and how big it is. Now, granted, him and Gardner Minshew were throwing to a lot of receivers who will not be the starting receiving core, you know, come week one if it is. Goodness gracious, but um, you know, no Michael Pittman Jr. for OTAs and minicamp, and then there's you know Alec Pierce missed the day. Johnny Woods was out for pretty much the entire time, so um, these are all things that kind of hindered his development early on. But I think I pretty much where I was to begin with. I knew there would be some flash plays there. He, it seemed like every practice he had the best throw, but never really the best day. Um, you know, and so that comes with the territory when you're talking about a quarterback who just turned 21 and only started 13 games. And obviously has a lot of expectations on his shoulder as being so athletic, so gifted, but still so raw. That's a really good way to put it. He would oftentimes have the best throw, but not the best day. Consistency certainly needs to improve there. My thoughts kind of quarterback related, James and James Boyd from the athletic uh, joins us here on the Payless Sickers Hotline. I'll walk away from the spring, and I think, and, and I'm glad you threw in the caveats of the personnel was rather decimated from a pass catching standpoint. For this week in particular, Shane Sykin mentioned that they really had a lot of unscripted stuff that they ran, and boy, did it look like they had a lot of unscripted stuff that they ran the last two days. But I walk away, and I think it's not like Gardner Minshew is 100 meters ahead of Anthony Richardson. Like, for me, the only reason, and again, I don't even think this should be a factor, but the only reason you would start Minshew over Richardson would be this massive, massive gap between the two guys. I don't necessarily see that. Does Richardson need to improve without question? But trust me, it's not like Minshew, in particular this week, set the world on fire. 
Yes, we're on the same page when it comes to this because, to me, Anthony Richardson is not going to be a better quarterback than Gardner Minshew by week one. I don't think that's a realistic expectation you put on him. However, like you said, the gap just can't be an ocean between the two. And I think a lot of that has to do with knowledge and, you know, things as far as being able to um, notice different defensive uh, schemes and also, you know, protections and things like that. That way, when you throw him out there, he at least knows what's going on, even if he can't execute it to the highest level just yet. That's okay. My whole thing is when you put him out there, you know, is he able to obviously stay upright? You don't want him getting, you know, hit or knocked down a lot, but also he isn't panicking because he doesn't know what's going on. And, you know, he was saying he doesn't want to go out there and be that quarterback who was thrown out there just because of um, where he was picked and things like that. He was saying, you know, when, I don't want guys to think, why is he out there when I go out there? And so um, I think it's a huge decision whenever you do put him out there. I wouldn't be surprised if it's week one. I wouldn't be disappointed or feel like it's a failure if it's not. However, um, I would think that the sooner the better, obviously, because like you said, there wasn't some huge gap where it's just like, okay, this guy's clearly – the better option and someone who's going to like obviously lead you to wins. I think wins are important, but obviously um, overall the most important thing for this franchise is the development of number five. James, one of the things that I find interesting, James Boyd is our guest on the Palo Sugars hotline. I mentioned this yesterday, but I want your perspective on it. If you look at the Rogers situation to go back to that, the, you know, the, the leak comes out, that there's an investigation involving a Colts player. That player is unidentified. The Colts at that time basically confessed their naivete towards the initial report. Isaiah Rogers then comes out and says, it's me, I'm sorry, I, I, I should have done it. And then we've heard nothing since. Did he overshow his hand? And I hate to say it that way, but like, would it have been better in his better interest to just kind of stay mum and let things... Why is it taking so long for us to hear any further movement, resolution, anything on this? I think it's taken a while because you have to really vet this and make sure that, you know, what's being alleged, which Sports Handle reported that, you know, this was him betting on Colts games. And you have to make sure, okay, did you bet on your team to win or lose? You know, it's obviously bad if you bet on them in any capacity because you can directly control the outcome. But if you don't want to lose, that's a whole different thing. And I think that that's a really, really even more serious um, thing for the league. And so um, I don't necessarily blame him for coming out and admitting some sort of guilt. Now he didn't use um, the word gambling or best in any of his, uh, any part of his statement. However, um, I think that was just a way to perhaps um, you know, show some remorse and, and potentially lighten whatever uh, penalty might come from this and we'll see how that goes. But I, I do think that if we're relying on uh, Shane Steichen to give us updates, it's not going to happen. You know, he's been pretty, uh, you know, stern about that and, and he's kind of just letting that process play out. And I do think this, though, the reason why we probably won't hear anything from the Colts in particular is until the league you know, um, hands down a ruling, and then we can become more specific in our questions because right now, again, it's all alleged, um, although Isaiah Rogers Sr., you know, isn't with the team. And to my knowledge, he hasn't been suspended by the NFL or anything like that. Basically, the Colts told him, you know, you can't come around right now. So um, it's a unique situation and one that, obviously, I don't think many of us really saw coming. And then, again, you see that some of the reports and the amount of bets and things like that it's really concerning, and for a guy 
of his caliber who isn't, you know, a 1,400-yard receiver like Calvin Ridley, you wonder if he'll get a second chance in the NFL if this comes to be true. When would you – and again, I want to – protect you by saying this this is strictly conjecture i you know i'm not asking you to have like some sort of inside info on this but if you had to guess we will know or hear some sort of information update ruling whatever it may be on this when i would say probably before training camp i don't know how long you have to investigate this if um you have all this time to do it now where it's kind of the, the low period for the nfl i know they made it sort of the um, all-year-round calendar, but this is the perfect time to really dive into that and then get a ruling out there before, obviously, all the headlines you know, get caught up with training camp. But I could also see the NFL, and again, this is just me spitballing, I could also see the NFL holding off to release this type of news, whatever um, gets handed down, until training camp. You know, That way it gets buried you know, in the day-to-day Anthony Richardson updates and things like that going on not only in Indianapolis but around the league where that's just not the main story that's going to happen. So um, I could see it, you know, being earlier in the, in the offseason or a little bit later just because obviously as much as we think this is a big deal, and it is, as soon as Anthony Richardson gets back on the field for training camp, that becomes the number one story in Indy and one of the number one stories in the NFL, and that's what the NFL wants is to keep the eyes on the players who obviously are – you know, following the rules and, and, and this young player in Indianapolis who many believe could be a great player and, and it's sort of something we've never seen before. Yeah, I think for all parties involved, let's get an announcement here before the end of the month. Let's get Chris Ballard to issue a few statements on it. Shane Sykin doesn't need to be talking about it. He doesn't know Isaiah Rogers, and boom, let's just move on. And then once you get to training camp, Ballard can focus on that move-in day about topics about his team and, and you don't have that storyline anymore again James Boyd with us here from the athletic on the Payless Lickers hotline James shifting gears to yesterday and Jonathan Taylor's comments again you have to I think factor in how Taylor usually operates in these media sessions I mean there was a part of me yesterday I was like is it even worth going over there to like hearing him explain his contract situation because he's not going to get into it and then boom I walk over there I'm like whoa so I, I think the fact that he doesn't usually go down the path that he went down yesterday stands out Having said that, how much do you think the presence of Anthony Richardson plays into the Jonathan Taylor contract negotiations and, I guess, the need to support your rookie quarterback? I think it's a big leverage piece for Jonathan Taylor. You know, if this was a year earlier and you were bringing a veteran quarterback and you thought you were, again, a quarterback away from being a playoff team and a Super Bowl contender, maybe you don't. Um, you know, lend your ear so much to what he wants as far as his contract. But now, with Anthony Richardson in place, again, the number one thing is his development, and obviously his development would be um, a lot better, I would assume, or a lot smoother if you have a top-five running back in your backfield and one of the most dynamic players in the NFL. So I think that helps him. I think that last season hurts him a little bit. You know, if he was coming off back-to-back, you know, 1,000-yard seasons and back-to-back, you know, Pro Bowl, All-Pro years, um, you know, it'd be hard to even question, you know, the amount of money he might be asking for. And I think the other thing that we have to consider is, you know, what is he thinking about as far as the length of the contract? That might be a sticking point there. And obviously, guaranteed money is always a big thing. But, you know, if the team is saying, we'll be a three-year deal and he wants a five-year deal, then I could see why they're kind of at odds. Because as a player, you want the longer contract, you want more – um, guarantees more security, but as a team, you want to be able to say, hey, 
we can kind of get out of this thing in three years, you know, when Anthony Richardson is, by that time should be, if he is the guy, you know, in his prime, and then um, we can, you know, just basically patchwork the running back position like the other teams do who have great quarterbacks. So um, we'll see how it goes. I was surprised to hear him say, you know, uh, what was on his mind and, and what it meant for not only himself, but running backs in the NFL and how he feels that they're devalued. And then also, you know, this is a guy who, KB, you know this, he he says things like for the shoe in his actual interviews. And so for him to say something that real lets you know how much it means to him and how much he wants to get his message across. And I'm sure the Colts hold it, heard it loud and clear now, as with all things with contracts, it comes down to, to the money, quite frankly, money and time. Yeah, to that point, Jonathan Taylor walks into media sessions and uses Colt Horseshoe organizational talking points. Yesterday, he used new agent talking points. Absolutely. I think that uh, when I heard the quotes, I was like, yes, this is uh, dollar signs I'm seeing in my eyes. And so um, he talked about. And I get it. Yes. And he talked a lot about how it's been historically rewarded here in Indianapolis, which also might help him. You know, when we last spoke to Ballard about this topic specifically back in January, he said, he was asked point blank, is it wise to pay a running back top dollar? And he did say, you know, if they're spe- special, yes. You know, if they're a player like Jonathan Taylor, you know, he was like, I won't get into specifics with the contract, you know, but I would think a player that is special, yes. And so um, I don't know if that rubs Colts fans the wrong way, considering the running back position has kind of dwindled over the years, but also considering – that JT isn't the typical good running back. He really is a great, great player, one of the best players in the NFL when he's healthy. All right, here's one for you, James. More starts in this upcoming season. Who starts more games for the Colts? Shaquille Leonard, Anthony Richardson. Anthony Richardson, I think, because I think that he would start likely the entire season unless something um, just doesn't click between now and training camp and the preseason games and things like that. Um, I'm definitely rooting from, for Shaq and not from a fan standpoint, but as a human being. I tell fans this all the time whenever I have, you know, the chance to engage with them. I've talked to a few at Buckner's camp, and they're asking for things, and I was like, hey, if there's one guy who loves the game of football more than anybody else, it's Shaq, you know, and I do think that there is a part of him who is, you know, having a fight within himself not to get back out there earlier than he should. I think he's learned from the last time to kind of take his time, and again, you don't want to hear that, you know, oh, how much time is it taking? But if it does take a longer time this time, he doesn't, you know, start right away week one, but he's, you know, himself again by week five, week six, um, it's worth it because, as we all know, Shaq is one of the best players in the NFL when he's feeling like himself. James Boyd from The Athletic. James, before we let you go, uh, I believe you are working on an Aaliyah Boston feature. Is that correct? Yeah, I got a Leah Boston thing I'm working on. Um, got some other things up my sleeve. Uh, the Forrest Buckner piece um, and some other things uh, that, I'll, that I'll be uh, putting out here on The Athletic here soon. So excited to hang around the fever. I know people keep asking, like, why the heck do you keep going all these games? And I promise you it's not because, um, you know, I solely love women's basketball. I do love it. I enjoy the game of basketball. However, there's always uh, – a little silver lining there, a, a bit of work there as well. I don't think the athletic would, you know, uh, appreciate me just going to games and using my credential as a fan. Uh, no, I think uh, there's always a little bit of work there as well. So just stay tuned for that. It should be out hopefully sometime, um, you know, within this month or next month, just to kind of document 
what we're seeing, you know, here in Indy. She's a special, special talent and someone who may get overlooked because of the league and maybe not being as big or as popular, but Aaliyah Boston really is one of the best players in the NFL, not, sorry, not NFL, <laughs> WNBA, right now as a rookie, and she's uh, getting better every day. So since we don't know her yet, James, and I'm not saying you do, but if you've been around it a little bit, because I do think that she is going to be um, a dynamic athlete in this town for a long time. So if you had to to kind of give a glimpse or a preview, is Aaliyah Boston like an all-business, locked-in, hard-to-get-to-know type player, or is she a dynamic, fun personality that people are really going to like off the court as well? Give me like maybe a cult personality that she, and I C-O-L-T, like the football team, a cult personality that she relates to in terms of what the vibe you get. I think there is a seriousness, but also some fun. So maybe the Zaire Franklin type, maybe not as serious, you know, but um, there is a fine line between business and uh, pleasure. And she um, walks it just about as, any, about as good as any athlete ever, I've ever been around. And um, again, Aaliyah is a great quote. She's also uh, one of those rare things in the media. And I kind of, this is kind of nerdy on my part, but like when your best player is also your best quote, like a Tyrese Halliburton, for example, like Anthony Richardson would be if he becomes the best player on the coast. Um, that's always a benefit as well. So she's someone that uh, a lot of fans, you know, you think about women's basketball, how they're trying to grow the game. I mean, every city she's been in, they, they told me at the airport they're getting more buzz because of her. She's recognizable. She's approachable. And um, like I said, it looks like she's becoming a star right before our eyes. She's forced an all-star voting, and I would not be um, surprised if she gets that honor as a rookie. Pretty wild times here in this market to potentially have her, Halliburton, and Richardson from a, you know, role model stars of the respective franchises. Uh, could be a pretty special time in this market over the next five to ten years. James, enjoy a little bit of quiet time, man, before uh, camp, and thanks for uh, making time for us. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Thanks for having me, man. Same to you. All right, the Pacers got another solo draft to work out today. And to chat more about that, Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files joins us. Good morning, Scott. Just get him on the phone. Hold on a second. Oh. Well, thanks, uh, Kevin. I'm, I'm glad to be on. I'm particularly glad to be on with Jake because we both went to North Central together, and he's kind of a legend in his own right. So, you know, it's always a thrill to be on with him. Get a phone issue. Can't, issue. Issue. <laughs> Can't recall Scott ever saying that, but I, I do enjoy – Scott always offers a good morning, so I do think it's nice to return the favor. Uh, do we have him, Mark? We have him. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, KB. <laughs> Genuine. Yeah, that is. Very genuine. Uh, Scott Grady-Dick, you think he's in play at seven, or is this the Pacers covering all their bases? I think it's more covering all their bases and doing their due diligence as they should and checking in with a guy who's projected to go kind of in that range. But, uh, no, I don't think he's at that spot at seven. I'm curious of this, Scott. 
when they do a solo workout, you know, typically, for those that don't know, during the NBA draft process, more often than not, when players come in to work out, they are partnered or paired with one or two other players. I would schedule, or I would assume, excuse me, most of that is schedule based, but. Is there any sort of a strategy of getting a guy on a solo workout where he's the only one you're watching? Uh, I think I think generally speaking, teams would prefer he's going up against somebody. Um, it's more so the agent's request that, yeah, my guy's going right in that range. I don't want someone two spots below him to come out, outperform him, and then make a jump on him. Um, so in most cases, it's, it's, it's an agent request. And then also to your first point, it's a schedule. Maybe this guy's only doing a couple workouts. He's in in the, this part of the country, you know, today, and so you know the Pacers aren't going to round up five other guys in that in that trajectory, you know, right away, and and to be able to do that. Um, and so so then it's dependent on the Pacers staff and the main guy's Gennaro Pargo, assistant coach, who's who's often the one that's challenging these guys and they're putting them in pick and roll situations and seeing how they adapt offensively, defensively, the bigger guys, they're throwing lobs to them, seeing them, how they finish. So I think it's a little bit more difficult, especially on the player because you get no rest, right? You're getting all the reps. Um, so, uh, the other big thing too, is they're doing, they've done more solo workouts this year than they ever have before. So, I think that's more just the way the draft's going, not specifically relatable to the Pacers. Again, Scott Agnes with us here from Fieldhouse Files, one week out from the NBA draft. Scott, this is more of a curiosity question for myself than anything, so I guess a little bit of apologies up front. Why does the NBA operate their offseason like they do with, with the draft so quickly after the season ends and then free agency follows just what a a week later you know the nfl milks it for a couple months then they get Mm -hmm. to free agency then they milk it for another month and then they get to the draft i guess you have a summer league component with that and i get the nba season's longer than the nfl so that means you have a shorter off season but any reason why the nba chooses to go so quickly once the finals ends it's funny. I was having this exact conversation with a friend of mine a couple days ago. They're like, "Can we talk about Jokic a little longer before we get into the draft and the Nuggets and all that, and give them their due?" And then also, let's hype up the draft for, draft for the next couple of weeks. But no, I, I don't know of any particular reason. I think more so, uh, much like the NFL plays once a week, the NBA is playing three or four times a week. There's more games. Or it's it's a longer season. Um, but, yeah, to, to do it just one weekend I, I, is a disservice to the team that just won and of all these players who are now getting the opportunity maybe to get more hype and attention. I mean, it felt like how long were, were the quarterbacks discussed? It felt like four months Tell me about leading it. up to the draft. Like, it was it was almost too much. But, um, I, yeah, it, one thing I considered, this is the proposal I brought up, what if you pushed it all back to, to – um, Push it back a week. So at least you got another week of draft conversation. Then the draft was July 1. You know, then then free agency started, let's call it July 10th. Summer League was shortened from 10 to 7 days and was like July 20th. It was all done by the end of July. And all teams, execs, everybody still kind of got their August off because that's really the only downtime during the season, even though there's still stuff going on like the schedule announcement. 
Jake, uh, the quarterback drama got so long, we decided to put mayo in the coffee. Yeah, don't remind me. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm aware. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the longest four-month day of my life. Hey, um, Scott, you have been covering how many NBA drafts now for the Pacers, roughly? Uh, probably 11. Okay. So during that time, I would imagine, and I don't know if the – you know, you're talking about different eras, different administrations. So I don't know how much the access to workouts or the post workouts have varied. But is there anything that you had, you have been able to learn in going back after the fact and looking at the say when I don't know if you, Paul George might have been too far back, but whatever the players that they've drafted over the years where you go back and you go, you know, there was actually something that kind of jumped out at their workout where they pulled them aside or they had them do more or whatever it might be. Was there any consistent thing that that retroactively tipped the hand that that was their guy that you can factor into with the players that you have seen come through this year? And the answer may well be no. Yeah, I would generally say no. The only thing that I'm tracking that it's a terribly small sample size is last year, Rick spent a lot of time after the workout uh, and and dealt with Benedict Matherin. Another player he did so with Jermaine Samuels, who was on their G League team this year. Uh, I saw him get his number. They brought him back for a second workout. Jermaine Samuels was at the workout yesterday um, because the team's back in town, by the way, for a optional workout this week. But I'm watching to see if it becomes something where if they spend additional time with them with this new coaching staff, that that might lead to something. But uh, I, I'm not I'm not sure I can make a conclusion out of it just yet. Um, but otherwise, unfortunately, we don't get to watch a second of the workouts. So we're really leaning on, you know, if you know, guys, how they how they treat the staff afterward, and maybe they go back on the court for a few jump shots before talking to us media showering and going to lunch with the staff. Scott, I don't know if anyone qualified, and Scott Agnes with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline, covers the Pacers Fieldhouse Files. I don't think anyone necessarily qualified as this for the Colts. It was a foregone conclusion they are going to take a quarterback wherever they ended up t- uh, drafting in the first round. But which Pacer player you think watches next Thursday's draft most nervous about what it could mean for his spot on the team moving forward? Hmm. That's a tough one because I'm my thinking here would be if there was a player to be concerned, it'd be right before the draft because he'd be included in a package of draft picks, right? Okay. Um, so so that, that's what stands out to me. Hypothetically, what I'm talking about here, right, is to do sure. your packaging 29 and 32 and a player or two and going to get a, a wing that's available on the market. Um from another team. So it would almost be before the draft. Uh, otherwise, in general, I think I would have the most concern if I was one of the one of those bigs. Daniel Tice, I think, would like to stay here, but, you know, does he? And then he's about to go overseas to, with Germany to play in the World Cup. The last thing you want to do is move. Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, I would say it's probably one of those those guys. Although... Chris Duarte? One of them... Perhaps, yeah. I mean, he he's an obvious name. He's a he's a guy that you know is just two years in the league, turned twenty six a couple of years ago. Um, I, I don't think I'd be number one if I were him, though. But yeah, he he would be in that conversation for sure. I think there's more the Pacers want to see from him, uh, um, quite frankly. But 
it depends what the demands of another team if they're coming in and and that's what would put it over the top at some point you can't hesitate and you just got to make the upgrade scott do you think the pacers i think there's an optimism right now there's a good feeling within the front office do you think they're more optimistic going into this draft about the kind of player they're going to be able to get or simply the position that they're in versus a year ago i I would say it's it's really both because they are, I would say, well ahead of now. I'm well ahead. They're they're definitely ahead of schedule with a clear face of the franchise, which is important to kind of set the tone. And and this is one thing I can take away from these workouts. Tyrese Halliburton's been at basically every one. I think he missed two because he went on um, a, a vacation that was planned previously, but then he, he drove the pace car. So he had to push it back a week. Um, but of these like 15 workouts, he's been at like all but two or three, I would say he's at these optional, um, off season workouts with the current crop of young players that are around. So that's key. I love having his influence there. And then I also think, yeah, that you, you look at where they're at right now and what they could potentially get, at that seven spot or around there. And, and to me, that's where it gets interesting because it does, there's a group of probably five, six players I think that they would be very, very comfortable with. Then they know they would be additive to the team. And so I think the, the only concern is, hey, there's too many picks in their hands right now, and they got to figure that out. So I think there's a little bit of pause or concern probably until that moment because they just functionally cannot draft five guys coming up in a week. Scott, non-pacer question for you. You ready? Totally out of left field. Bring it. Is Victor Oladipo done? Is Jake on the Mount Rushmore of North Central? Well, we know that. I mean, that, that's a. I mean, come on. Cradle of greatness, baby. <laughs> that's right. The cradle of greatness. That's right. It's a copyright to Jeremy Gray, by the way. Just to be clear, the cradle but, uh, of greatness. We have yet to find where that greatness actually exists. Is Oladipo a free agent? No. So this is where he lucked out. He originally, originally last year agreed to a one-year, I think it was $9 million uh, off-season contract. And after things shook, uh, shook out with the, the Miami Heat and, and guys they got and didn't get, they ended up making it like a two-year $18 million deal. So he's going to get paid next year. Um, he's going to need that a lot of time to rehab. I, I, would, I would fully expect for him to, assuming he can do stuff functionally, I would expect for him to like at least get like a tryout or kind of like a, you know we'll bring you back on a veteran minimum if if you pass a a, a tryout. But I'm hesitant. That's why it, it sounds sad. But I'm I'm talking about you know having to go through workouts because having a third major surgery to to a rare injury in a speed sport where he is so dependent on his quickness, his burst, his his abrupt stops that I'm very curious what his game looks like. It's not like he could be a Clay Thompson with a bum ankle out on the perimeter, a threat that spaces the floor and could still knock down threes at 45%. Like it's a very different game. So I think that's my long winded way of saying it's very concerning certainly. And I think if you read into his Twitter posts during the off season, he could kind of feel some of the sadness come through. It's only a matter of time, Scott, before we go to multiple nights for the draft. Yes, and that should be done for sure. What are we waiting on? I think um, you, you have all these picks now. This one's a little unique because there's only 58 picks because a couple of them got taken away by the league for 
um, discipline, disciplinary actions. And so 58 picks, but there's no reason you shouldn't put that second round to another night, make night one a little bit bigger. And again, like most franchise, or excuse me, like most leagues and just following the NFL script, they've figured it out. Make night one all about night one and then the rest. Um, then you can really make a showcase, and there's another TV window, and so there's more TV money. Kind of respect the NBA for not having gone down that path just yet. This might be a stupid idea, but do you think they could ever just do the lottery one night and then save the rest of the draft? You know, that would leave like a few marquee names still out there, or like, wow, this guy fell out of lottery. I don't know. I feel like. If we get to round two, like ESPN would hype up, hey, where's Trace Jackson Davis going to go tonight? You know, I, I, I don't know. It yeah. just doesn't have maybe the same sort of appeal. I guess, yeah, yeah. I could, t- I could see something like that. Um, to your point earlier about not stretching the season, I bet those outside the lottery really weren't even paying attention a month ago when they had the lottery drawing for who would pick where. Only because it was thirty minutes before a playoff game, like yeah. the start of the playoff, and like, they, it's dragged out a little aspect. bit. Like, what's that, Jake? It's dragged out a little bit too, where people are just like, "Look, just give me the final results." You know what I mean? Oh, oh, entirely. It's yeah. a thirty-minute show where you only need to watch the final yeah. six minutes, <laughs> right? Well, and then how about Denver during the middle of the finals trading for a draft pick? It's like it, it just seems so. Not that that was some you know massive headliner, but it just seems so odd to me. Like the Nuggets trying to go for their first title in NBA history, and you've got people in that organization that are having to worry about the draft. So, uh, just very, yeah, I, very I like different than deal. the NFL. I like that deal. Denver. It made more sense. It, it's them capitalizing on their window here in the next couple of years versus. You what know, was the deal again? They, they got a Thunder first years. rounder. What's that? Well, what was the deal again? They got like a first rounder for the from the Thunder or something. Yeah, first rounder in exchange for you know future first and I think a couple a uh, couple seconds or something like that. It's actually something if you're on the other side of it, that's something the Pacers should be looking to get involved with. Where you know they receive a future first here, you know, five years down the road, where they give up you know twenty nine and thirty two or something like that. Um, that 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 would make things very interesting, but I just don't think if something goes down as it should, it probably won't be until the day before or the day of the draft once a team is very comfortable with his board and where where players are slotted in. A week from tonight, the NBA draft again: seven, twenty six, twenty nine, thirty two, and fifty. Those are the five selections for now for the Indiana. Pacers. Scott, looking forward to next Thursday. We'll certainly have you on that morning if you don't mind. And uh, have a great weekend, man. Very well. Thanks, guys. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Jake, uh, I, I, I can't hear anything. <laughs> anything. Well, we can do a hearing test for you after the show. <laughs> We're no, that's that's not the issue. You're going to have to get that fixed before Bob Kravitz here. These are fabulous headsets, but... In a few. <laughs> uh, Daniel Scott, Colts rookie, safety out of Cal, torn ACL. The end of OTAs, he is done for the season. The corresponding roster move the Colts just made. Um, Michael Tutsi. Uh, remember his dad, Jake, the Warren Central coach? Yeah. Steve? That's who that is? Yeah. Michael Tutsi, Warren Central product. Tutsi, I'm saying that right, right? I believe Tootsie, it's Tootsie. Tootsie. Like the movie, right? North, no, it is Tutsi. I think you're right. North Dakota State is where he played his football. So, boy, we're just tying it all together with Carson Wentz. Um, you got to love the resume. Part of four national titles. And his he played six seasons with the COVID year at North Dakota State, a seventy-eight and eight record. Finished his career with fifty-six consecutive starts. So, a little bit of a local angle here on the ninety-man roster. I would assume, with the Colts doing no activities between now and the start of training camp, you would assume Michael Tutsi will get a shot at Grand Park coming up in late July. Who was the um, Joe Haig? Didn't he play at North Dakota Joe State? Haig, yep. North let's just Dakota let's State. just use that as the North Dakota State reference from now on. Oh, no, we aren't going wins? No, because I, I thought Joe Haig was a nice player, right? Yeah, nice Versatile, dude as well. Pl- played well. He just got cut, I think, by the Browns, Haig. I think he would make some sense here. He was a, I mean, he was a solid rotational lineman, right? For a day three pick, he checked the box for you. Yeah, he definitely was a nice swing tackle. That role will be Blake Freeland, it looks like, this year, the rookie fourth-round pick. They've had spin tackles since then. BYU. Yeah, yeah, that is good. That is good. Um, all right, Bob Kravitz, he joins us next. Obviously, Bob, uh, been through a lot this week from a layoff standpoint. Uh, we'll get Bob's thoughts on that and what the future holds for a man that I know Jake and I both hold in very high regard. So Bob Kravitz on the other side here. Kevin and Corey. All right, 9 o'clock hour here. Uh, Kevin and Query. Um, our next guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline, Bob Kravitz, joins us. Bob, I, I texted you earlier in the week, and I definitely want to share what I said to you here. Of you, know, you are someone that, honestly, probably more than any other media personality, kind of ignited a passion in me at, at, at a young age. And not to show the age gap, but you know, I distinctly remember vivid memories of running downstairs to read the sports page with my dad. When I was young, that was kind of our preschool ritual on a daily basis. Um, so I guess I'll start by saying thank you for igniting that passion. And without that, I don't think I would be in this position I am now. And at the same time, I absolutely hated to see the news on Monday. So apologies uh, from the layoff standpoint. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. And I've heard a couple of things you guys have said in the last couple of days on air. And I appreciate you not only saying that publicly, but reaching out to me privately. Uh, so I that's that's wonderful and tells you shows, shows what kind of human beings you guys are. Bob, let's begin with this. Um, you know, I've I've been through obviously the same you know experience here, and I and I know what it's like. But I'm curious from your standpoint. 
I, I think to me, you know, it's very humbling when, when you lose a job. And I think that people forget, and I've said this a lot, our jobs come with a lot of perks, a lot of advantages, and a lot of fun. But the price to pay for that is it is humbling and maybe a little bit embarrassing to lose a job publicly. You know, a guy that's an yeah. accountant, a guy that's an architect, a gal that's a teacher, they lose their job until they tell their friends and family about it. And nobody probably really knows. We lose a job and it's it's a buzz for a while. And there's a, a, a humility that comes with that. Has that been difficult for you to navigate? Not really, because I've been through it before. You know, when uh, I was at, at your station uh, and, you know, they, they canceled us. Um, you know, it was public, certainly when I was uh, at THR and lost that job. I seem to be on quite a roll lately. Um, you know, I, I know I'm in a public, uh, public uh, you know, uh, situation, and no, I'm cool with it. The, the big thing is that uh, for 41 years plus, I've identified myself as a sports journalist, and I'm not entirely sure whether I'm going to give that up um, or continue on in some form or fashion. I, I really, people have asked me, what are you going to do? I said, right now, I'm going to go to Michigan for a couple of days with my wife and just kind of decompress and have a, have a little wine and just kind of decide what the next step is going to be. Good for you. Uh, Bob Kravitz joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Bob, how do you kind of summarize, and I don't want to act like this is the end because you just you know said that this is a decision that you have to make, but how would you kind of summarize the two decades that you spent covering teams in this market? Oh, it was an absolute, it was a joy for me. Um, you know, I, the, the people were great to work with, even Bill Polian uh, at times, and uh I, you know, Indianapolis is my home. You know, I, I know I'm not a native-born Hoosier, but I think I've been accepted. And I, I think I think people appreciated the honesty, or at least the effort to be straight and honest with them. And so, the, in India's home, I, I don't plan to go anywhere. Um, so you're stuck with me for a while. And whether I get back into the writing uh, gig, uh, <laughs> we'll find out. I don't know. I got a lot of questions to be answered here in the next couple of weeks you know bob for me one of the things that you and i have in common i think most people know this but i've certainly made mention of it so i don't i hope you don't mind me asking but we've talked about it publicly is you know both of us have tickers that gave us a wake-up call and for me that happened during a period where i was between jobs and Mm -hmm. i was always kind of grateful for it because it just gave to me this it kind of reset the deck and put everything in perspective of like what what am i worried about i mean like it it just it prioritized things if you will and it allowed me to to go through the job search in a different aspect have you experienced the same i i know that you know since the quadruple bypass um I know I slowed down some. Uh, I'm not real proud of that, but I know I slowed down some, and I think I had to. I don't think I had a choice. But, yeah, I, I, you know, I just, the reason I couldn't come on at 8 o'clock is because I was doing cardio, cardiac rehab in the morning, and I've been doing that for the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, I really want to take some time just for myself and, and my, my family. Um, and, and you know, put more emphasis on my health. I've been going a thousand miles an hour 
for a long time. I've always been a, a work-hard, play-hard guy. Um, I don't do that quite as much anymore, but I still have my moments, God knows. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think I, I'm resetting with the idea that whatever I do next, it's got to fit into my plan to get healthy and stay healthy because I want to stick around for a while. I, I'm not ready to cash it in yet. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a different, it's a different perspective for sure. Bob, I'll share this from Matthew. Matthew texts and says, Please tell Bob his dopey report card segment was one of my favorite numerous anecdotes during bad Colts years. Made me laugh every time. So the dopey report card lives on, Bob. I appreciate that. That'll be on my epitaph someday. <laughs> when you look, at, I guess, specifically to this market, because, you know, Jake and I were talking earlier. I mean, Denver, Cleveland, Sports Illustrated, but just specific to us here locally, was there one story or one interview you wish you could do? Hmm. What is one interview? Um, gosh, you know, I mean, I spent a lot of time talking with Peyton, um, you know, with, with you know, Jermaine O'Neal and Artest. Or maybe just like an on-the-record comments from, you know, those particular people or Andrew Luck, Jim Irsay, yeah, anybody that I, you would... I would I would like to have sat down with and Seth Wickersham from Sports uh, from ESPN, excuse me, did a marvelous job with that story. But I I would have liked I'd like to sit down over a cold beer with Andrew Luck without a without a report without a reporter's notebook or a tape recorder and just talk about what the decision that he made uh, that never was really clarified. Uh, you know, it was in the Wickersham story, but I, I like to have that conversation with him because um, he's, he's a really deep, smart, funny guy, and I'd like to know more about that. But, you know, for the most part, I've done just about everything I would have wanted to do, not only here in Indianapolis, but in my career. I mean, I've covered 13 Olympic Games, countless World Series, NBA Finals, Stanley Cup Finals, the list goes on. So, you know, I, I haven't left a lot on the table. Bob, which part of your career to this point, I'll say it that way, which thing when you look back are you most proud? Oh, boy. You know, uh, people have been asking me that question, and I've been giving really crappy answers uh, because it's funny. When I write something, I tend to forget it pretty quickly. <laughs> and move on to the next one. I start panicking about what I'm going to write next. And I got to tell you, not having to worry about what I'm going to write next has been very liberating in the last uh, last two or three days. I, I'm just proud that, first, that I lasted 41 damn years, which is a hard thing to do in, the, in this or any other business. And I'm proud of the fact that, you know, um, I, I, I was always as honest as I could possibly be uh, not only about my views on sports, but about myself. You know, I, I know that uh, I'm a grade C public figure. Um, and, you know, I've talked about, you know, my, my mental health. I've talked about the heart. I'm a freaking mess. But, you know, I, I've talked about that stuff because I think it's important for people in a public space to be uh, open and honest about that stuff. So nothing in particular. It's not like the flake gates my my magnum opus or anything, but uh, I've done a lot of stuff that I'm really proud of. 
Uh, but to pick one out is really difficult for me because uh, I just forget, to be honest. I, I think one of the things, Bob, that is a real testament to you, and I think that it's not easily achieved within our line of work. When I was a younger person and lost a job, it was hard for me because that was when I had the epiphany that I, that was when I came to the realization that there were a lot of people that I thought, you know, liked me. And then I realized, well, they actually liked the microphone I was holding and the the, the phone calls were returned a lot less frequently. And I realized that, that it's the position and not the personality that people typically follow or enjoy. And I think right. it's very difficult to transcend through that. And I and you clearly have. I, I mean, in both good and bad ways, your polarization as a writer, it was Bob Kravitz that people would comment on. Not the column, not the wording, but Bob Kravitz himself. And if what I'm saying makes sense, I say it as a broadcaster to a writer as the ultimate compliment and testament to one's work and legacy of their career. It is not easily achieved. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, it's funny now, you know, you talk to these young journalists and they all want to become a brand. And, you know, I think you become a brand by doing good work over the course of a a long period of time. Um, I I, I never... I thought that I was going to be this ultimate dinosaur who would be the last true newspaper columnist. You know, uh, obviously that didn't happen. I decided to go to Channel 13, uh, and, and, you know, I ended up doing a little bit of TV, which is hysterical. Uh, you guys know what I look like, and I this is not a face for TV. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm very proud of what I've done, and I'm, I'm proud. It's been very gratifying, honestly, the last couple of days to get the messages private messages public messages i saw tom cream rip the athletic for letting me go which is very nice but not necessary but look the athletic is changing its business plan you know it it started out wanting to be the big uh uh local uh you know they wanted to out newspaper the newspaper and they've discovered over the years that that's really not something that's very doable uh, without spending even more money, and they're not making money yet over there, and they've decided to be more, more big issue, more national, more big market, um, and you know you see what's happened in the Indianapolis market. We're we're uh, down to James Boyd. Unfortunately, he's a wonderful writer and reporter, but there's not a lot of local. Uh, there's not much local stuff to recommend it at this point. Bob, what's the future of local journalism? I think it's bleak as hell. You know, I think there are some great people who work at the Star. Uh, I'm a fan of their work, and, and I try to support them uh, as best I can. But you know, with, with with these big companies rolling in and with with advertising, I, I think newspapers as as a physical entity may be done within ten years and will be all online. It may happen earlier than that, but you know, with advertising. Um, and, and everything else the way it is, boy, I, it's bleak. And you see what's that? When I came to the Indianapolis Star in 2000, we had like 270 people in editorial. We're down, we're down, they're down to about 60 or 70 people now. And they're still, still fighting every day to get a decent contract. So um, I think I think outside of the New York Times, 
the LA Times, you know, the big the big kahunas, I think it's gonna it's gonna be a rough road for local journalism. Bob, last one from me, and appreciate you um, sharing all this w- with us. It's the wildest story, interaction, scoop, however you want to go, that you've been a part of. Maybe it's a better question for for a drink or two at Prairie View Golf Course, but uh, as best you can share, um, what, what was kind of the wildest interaction? And again, let's just stick to kind of your run here in this market. Yeah, oh, it's it's a no-brainer, Deflategate. I mean, one day I'm... I'm I'm in uh, the hotel in I think Warwick, Rhode Island. You know, uh, uh, tweeting out that the 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 uh, Patriots are being investigated for possibly using deflated footballs. And a couple of weeks later, I'm on CNN with Anderson Cooper. You know, I mean that's just, that's just not something I had on my personal bingo card. Um, so I would say that whole thing was the craziest thing. Being a persona non grata in New England was great fun. Uh, well, except when they went after my wife and kids. That, that, then it stopped being funny. But, uh, yeah, I have to say the flake gate, it's not my proudest moment. I mean, I, I was just kind of got lucky. Something fell in my lap and I got it confirmed. So, yeah, it was a big scoop and I'm proud of it. But, um yeah, it, it's definitely it's not what I want to be known for in the long term, but that was definitely the craziest couple of months of my life. Yeah, I'll never forget, and I, I didn't think anything of it at the time, but I did think it was odd. I remember being in the press box when Ryan Grigson got the call from the sidelines, and yeah. and I'm thinking to myself, man, Grigson is on the phone with the sidelines for a long time. I mean, usually it's just like a quick injury report. Hey, Nicole Jackson's right. got a hamstring, you know, boom. And right. and I'm thinking to myself, and again, I didn't think anything of it at the time. And now looking back on it, I'm like, well, Nicole Jackson has the interception. He takes it over to the equipment people. Equipment people inform whoever they need to. They call up to Grigson. And I assume that was the the snowball that led to, outside of the 45-7 to ass kicking, that led to Deflategate. Right. And, and, you know, it's funny. I still get emails or texts, tweets, whatever, from people saying, well, it had nothing to do with the game. I'm like, no kidding. It had nothing to do with the game. They could have played with a badminton shuttlecock and they would have beaten them a thousand to nothing. And it didn't make any difference. But they, they were alleged to have tried to mess with the integrity of the game. And yes, cheat. Out and out cheat. And the, uh, the fact, you know, people are saying, well, you know, it was disproven and all this stuff. Okay, whatever. Uh, all I know is I wrote that they were being investigated by the NFL. You know what? They were being investigated by the NFL. So that was my story. I stuck to it. And, uh, you know, I guess I guess that's on the epitaph, too. Well, Bob, certainly enjoy Michigan. It's well-deserved. I know it's not easy, and we, we obviously wish you the best. But, Thanks, um, you know, I've got a feeling that we'll be hearing from you you know, on, on the backside of it, but you know, you are welcome certainly on this program anytime. Well, thank you guys. And again, thank you for the kind words the last couple of days. And thank you to everybody who's uh, reached out. But in the real world, uh, people don't always get a 41 year run. And, um, you know, a lot of people, and especially in the, the recent economy have lost their jobs. So, um, you know, I'm certainly not a unique story here, but because I'm a public figure of sorts, uh, people know about it. It's a whole different deal, but I will be just fine. Relax, my Bob. and pl- game, My golf game is not so good, though. Hey, I was going to say, relax and play some good golf, all right? Well, I'll relax. I don't know about the good <laughs> golf. 
raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. All right, let's head to the Payless Liquors Hotline to round things out today. We've got Kyle Boone joining us from CBS Sports, one week out from the NBA draft, and obviously the Pacers with five picks. A whole lot they can do here between now and Thursday. Uh, and to get more on the draft, Kyle joins us now on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Kyle, the Pacers got Grady Dick in for a solo workout here on this Thursday. Uh, your thoughts on the Kansas wing? Yeah, I love Grady Dick's game. Um, love the range in which he's going to go, which should be, I think, starting around six in this draft. So, um, you know, I don't know necessarily if he's maybe the best fit for for the Pacers. If you're picking at number seven, he, he probably wouldn't be my first selection. But makes a lot of sense. He's you know six foot eight. He's one of the best spot up shooters in in this draft class. He's a really good transition player. He's really athletic. Um, he's a winner. I mean, this guy has has won at every single level. So checks a lot of boxes. Love Grady Dick's game. Um, when I when I kind of check around the the industry i think people clearly think that he's a top 12 prospect in this class so uh for indiana to bring him in uh, to at least kick the tires and see what he looks like in person i think is uh is a big deal uh they'll they'll obviously be cycling in a lot of players leading up to the draft but uh grady dick is one definitely to keep an eye on uh as we approach next week's draft when you look at Indiana's need, Kyle, and the reality is that I do think the Pacers now are in position to go with the player that best suits their need as opposed to just strictly best player available. And their need, realistically, probably is a wing defender that you know can give you some scoring, but I think defensively speaking and just tenacity is probably their biggest need. Yeah. What player most – who will be the best player available at seven that fits that criteria? Yeah, I mean, like, the truth is pretty much every NBA team wants that exact archetype. So it does make it a little bit tough. I feel like players in general who are wings who can defend um, and, and bring in tangibles are so, so valuable right now. But to your point, I think I think you're absolutely right. The Pacers um, should be prioritizing that. There's a couple that I think I would keep an eye on if, if that is indeed the direction that they go. The first is Anthony Black. From, from Arkansas. He wasn't even the highest-rated signee uh, from Arkansas last season. That was Nick Smith Jr., his teammate, um, but has really emerged, I think, as a, as a top-ten prospect in this class. He's When you think of Anthony Black, you think of like a connector type of piece. You know, he's six foot seven, uh, 200-plus pounds. He's a really good defensive prospect. He's very selfless with the basketball. In many ways, reminds me a lot of Tyree Talliburton. Now, the big question with Anthony Black is can he shoot? Because the answer so far is like, no, he, he's not a very good shooter, but he's still just a teenager. Um, you know, character-wise, he seems to check out. A lot of people really love him 
as, as kind of a player and as a person. And the work ethic has always been there. This is a guy who, you know, really did not focus solely on basketball until later in his career. So there's a lot of optimism around Anthony Black and, and, and some momentum that he will go inside the top eight. He would make a lot of sense, I think, for me, for the Pacers, if he is still on the board there. Um, another one I'll mention here is Taylor Hendricks from UCF. And you think Taylor Hendricks, you think of kind of like a power forward. And I think he is more of a power forward than a, than a small forward. But he's six foot nine. He's very, very long, can create off the dribble uh, in, in many ways, can space the floor. It just checks a lot of boxes for like kind of a jumbo wing who can defend at a really, really high level. He can shoot it at a high level and a lot of untapped potential, a lot of athleticism, a lot of talent. So uh, Hendricks, to me, I think is one to keep an eye on. And you think of like UCF players, someone who's you know, not necessarily from a major five conference, but he has absolutely risen up boards and I think will end up going top ten. Should be in the mix, I think, for the Pacers. Kyle, along with Hendricks, a guy that I've told Pacers fans, I think if they walk away from number seven come Thursday night, a week from tonight, uh, with this selection they should be pleased with would be Jairus Walker. Defense and rebounding have been such an issue for this franchise over the last few years. You would think Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin, you know, pair together, you know, make up a really nice backcourt moving forward. Um, what are your opinions on Jairus Walker out of Houston? Love him. Uh, I don't think he's going to be available, but if he's there, at really, seven, man, I, I, I do, I do think he goes before seven. Okay, uh, but if he's if he's there at seven, I think it would be a great selection. The Walker's, you know, he's as as you mentioned, he's a really dynamic, energetic presence. He feels like a lot like a glue guy who's, you know, six foot seven, six foot eight, which feels a little bit undersized for a power forward, but. This dude plays like he's six foot eleven, two hundred and eighty pounds. I mean, he's he's one of the most complete, I think, physically mature prospects in this class. And um, you know, he's he's a guy who played a little bit on and off the ball as a high school prospect. Went to Houston last season for a veteran team, and um, <clears throat> really kind of took a back seat as as kind of a guy who could who could do a lot of different things playing inside. He could space the floor. He's a great three point shooter. Lots of untapped potential as, as kind of a creative presence as well. And, you know, it does seem like Indiana has, you know, in, in recent years kind of prioritized getting guys with high character who, who can play kind of selfless basketball. Uh, Jared Walker is a guy who I think checks those boxes. He, he, is, he is someone that is very affable, someone who, likes, who people like to be around. Um, and I think he's someone who you would like to build around in, in terms of your franchise long term. So, I, I do end up thinking that he's going to go somewhere around like five, six, or seven. Um, my my guess is it's closer to five than it is to seven. But yeah, if he flips to to the to the Pacers there, I think that would be a fantastic selection. It's Kyle Boone from CBS Sports covering the NBA draft. He joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Kyle, obviously, a lot of Indiana Hoosier fans paying attention to uh, a week from tonight with the draft. Better chance Jalen Hood Shafino goes in the first twelve picks, or Trace Jackson Davis goes in the first round. Oh man, you're talking to the wrong person because I think I think both is going to happen. I think Jalen okay. Hood Shafino goes in the top twelve, and I think Trace Jackson Davis goes in the first round. I mean, Hood Shafino has gotten a lot of steam from what I've heard in in recent weeks. I mean, he's he's a combo guard who can create. He has a really dynamic scoring skill set, can create and, and play multiple guard positions. 
Um, there's a lot of interest in him right now, Jalen Uchifino, and, and and 12 is is kind of the magic number that I keep hearing. Like he could go as high as 12, um, and somewhere in like the 12 to probably 17 or 18 range. Uh, the Lakers are picking at 17, Miami at 18. But I think both of those uh, destinations would would make a lot of sense. Jackson Davis is someone who you know I've been higher on throughout this NBA draft process, and I think in general, if you look at his prospect profile. You look at his shooting, and it's like, well, he's a, he's a dominant big man. He's, he's really good at rebounding, but he doesn't shoot the three. And I think the truth is he can shoot the three, and he has really good shooting mechanics, and there's optimism that his shot will project to the NBA level. He just never did it at Indiana. So when I talk to scouts about you know kind of projecting his game, they feel confident that in time he will develop into a three-point shooter, at least be a confident four spacer. Um, and if you have Trace Jackson Davis, who has been consistently one of the most productive players in college basketball the last few years, and he's also a three-point shooter, I think it, to me, is, is a clear first-round talent. So, yeah, I will, uh, I'll parlay both of my bets there. I, I think J- Jalen Huchifino ends up going inside the top 12, and Jackson Davis goes in the first round. So kind of the same question, and maybe you touched on it a little bit there, Kyle, but of those two, which one has most helped himself through the process since playing their last game at Indiana? Yeah, I think it's probably Hood Shafino. Is it the the body size for Hood Shafino to me is just what's so unique about him, right? He has kind of a like a George Hill type feel where like he can kind of do a little of both. Really good. He had some some great games. He had some some flash games. Uh, but he wasn't, you know, consistently like one of the best players in college basketball. There were times last season where he was great. You know, he dropped 35 points on the road to to help take down, you know, a, a top five Purdue team at the time, and that was like a kind of an introductory moment where it's like, okay, this guy, this guy actually could be something special. But it was it was really the Trace Jackson Davis show, and then sometimes it was Jalen Hood Shafino. So. I think for Huchifino during this pre-draft process, it's been about showing what he can what he can do consistently, um, what his what his uh, game is going to be at the next level. Can the shot kind of translate? Because he was around thirty three percent last season. So if he, if he's going to be you know a starting lead guard in the NBA, you want him to to have like a bankable skill set. Right? He's, he he does it all, but he doesn't do one thing necessarily at an elite level. Um, but you know the flashes are there, so I think during this process, Huchifino has gone from you know he could be taken in the twenties, uh, you know late first round to I think there's real momentum that he goes inside the lottery. So it is, it has been I think a, a good pre-draft process for both Jackson Davis and Huchifino, uh, but Huchifino I think has has really emerged and in, in kind of uh, taken a reign into kind of his own tier of this draft. Kyle, we'll end with this. Um, at number two, Charlotte. You Brandon Miller or you Scoot Henderson? Give me Scoot, baby. Give me Scoot. I, I think people people like the idea of Brandon Miller and LaMelo Ball just because they think you know, it's a good fit. You can get someone who can play off of LaMelo Ball, but I don't think you can have enough sharp-minded ball handlers in your, in your NBA franchise. And Scoot Henderson is sharp-minded. He's a great ball handler. I think he can play off on and off the ball. Um, Scoot to me is, is the second best prospect in this class, and I think if you're the Hornets, you you don't really have the luxury of picking fit right now. You have to take the best player available. To me, that is Scoot Henderson in this class. Do you think that Charlotte sees it that way? 
I don't. I don't. My guess is my guess is that they end up just staying put and selecting Brandon Miller. I don't think it's necessarily wrong. And if they have conviction, they believe that Brandon Miller is the better prospect than Scoot Henderson. Then by all means, um, just based off you know my scouting and, and what I've seen, I, I personally prefer Scoot to Brandon Miller. But um, we can look up in a few years, and Brandon Miller is the better player than Scoot Henderson. It wouldn't be totally surprising. Again, Kyle Boone, that is Kyle the Boone on Twitter. Is that an ode to Ohio State, Kyle? Your Twitter? Hey, no comment here. No comment here. You're talking to an Oklahoma State guy here. Oh, so. okay. Uh, hell of a men's golf program. Have you ever been to Eskimo uh, Joe's Jumpin' Little Juke Joint? You better believe I have. That's right. <laughs> I've only seen the t-shirts. Kyle They're sounds everywhere. like he's closed down the joint <laughs> a time or two. Right. That's right. Hell yeah. That's yeah. Him and Marcus Smart have closed it down <laughs> back right. in the day. Uh, Kyle, great stuff, man. Appreciate you hopping on with us. We're looking forward to next Thursday, and thanks for provi- providing some insight. You got it. Appreciate you guys. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.